Chief Miller is dedicated to featuring the men and women of the fire service from around the world. Chief Miller has a family of content creators who feature great people doing great things, making the fire service a better place. Make sure to follow along as Chief Miller creates, shares, collaborates, and features the special people who call themselves firefighters. Follow along on Instagram at Chief underscore Miller. Find him on Twitter at Chief underscore Miller underscore. Like him on Facebook at Chief underscore Miller number one. And watch for all the podcasts featured within the Chief Miller media family. Make sure to check out ChiefMillerApparel.com for all your fire service apparel needs. The K-Man Radio Show is proudly sponsored by some great firefighter-owned businesses, and we're going to talk about them here for a second, starting with my friends Peter and Nikki from AxeCaps.com. If you're in the market for some quality apparel, what about direct-to-garment printing? Are you looking to bring your own brand out to the world? Well, go check out AxeCaps.com today. Peter and Nikki will be sure to take care of you. Also, Ian Sargent from South Florida at SGT Firebags. That's SargentFirebags, SGTFirebags.com. If you're in the market for a wash radio strap or a clean gear bag to protect you from the carcinogens out there reduce that risk of cancer exposure guess what sgt firebags has you covered use Canban for 10 percent off and my brother herb tyler from nrc or national rescue consultants if you're looking to get usar educated from some of the best out there go check out my brother herb tyler at nrc.com that's national rescue consultants Hey canners, it's time for 30 minutes of unadulterated and uncensored shenanigans. Get ready to call HR because you're going to need sensitivity training after this. Gear up because it's going to hurt worse than writ training in July. Welcome to the Can Man Radio Show with your host, Jason Liska. Welcome back to another great episode of the Cam Man Radio Show. Tonight is a just a special episode all the way around. I've got some really awesome people uh, that have been wanting to line up and talk, and one of them is uh, going to be introduced here in just a moment. But before I go any further, there's something i got to share with you. I, if you're hearing something different, well, it's because i got some great new equipment. And I went to bsw.com, and i got to throw them a shameless plug. And my good friend Jamie Singer, who set me up with this Rodecaster Pro and these awesome microphones, so I could sit here and give you some of the best content in the best quality possible. So if you're looking for some awesome podcasting gear, and you're looking to maybe start putting a brand out there yourself, go to bsw.com, go check out my friend Jamie Singer. So I guess it's kind of uh, important now that we talk about our guest here, who's been a friend of mine for close to two decades at this point. You know, we kind of came up in the fire service together and, you know, we kind of worked in radio at different points in our lives together, but not directly. And now he's working up in Washington, D.C. And I want to take a moment and welcome my good friend Mark Treglio to the show. So good evening, my brother. 
Oh, thanks for having me. I'm uh, glad finally to get an opportunity to be on the Great Can Man Show. Oh man, you humble me. I swear. I, I you know, <laughs> you do some quality work, and let me tell you something. The work you do up in Washington, I'm going to be honest with you. It, uh, it's inspired me to do a lot of what I do today. And you know, it's kind of funny. You, you've been an inspiration to me back and forth throughout the course of my life and and our friendship. And I know you've said the same, but uh, I want to thank you for helping me you know, relive my youth in a sense and, and, and being an inspiration to get back to this microphone and actually start sharing some thoughts and perspectives out there. Well, well, thank you for the kind words. I appreciate it. I, you know, I've, I've had a good, uh, uh, lucky run, you know, for the last couple of years and, and, and you get to the places like that because of the people <clears throat> that help you get there. You know, I remember just as, uh, you know, two young punks on the Florida, Florida convention, you know, and, uh, <laughs> yes, we were around causing mischief. And but but you know what is because, you know, back when I was doing things in, in, in Jacksonville and Florida and I had support from guys like you, well, and that's what got me up to D.C. And, you know, we get we're able to do great things in D.C. now because because of the team we have. It's never just a one man show. I, you know, I'll tell you something. I've had the privilege of sitting in on some of these nationwide conference calls. I mean, from Maine to Hawaii, you've had some great leaders on that have all lent some interesting perspective to what's coming and, and, and potentially what's going to happen after COVID. But, you know, speaking of that in a moment, I, I really want to just digest who you are, you know, and just share with who you are so people get a better understanding of who Mark Treglio is in his background. Wow, it goes, uh, goes way back a couple of years now. Uh, I was born in New York City. And you're a Yankees um, fan, by the way. It's all that matters, buddy. It's all that matters. Mm. <laughs> so uh, I grew up in a small town outside New York City called Haverstraw, New York, in uh, Rockland County. Uh, probably 45-minute drive north, you know, with traffic and everything. But I uh, went to high school out there, North Rockland High School. But that's where I got my taste of the fire service. I was actually a music education major coming out of high school and uh, didn't get a chance to go. So I was piddling around town and I joined the local fire company, uh, relief hose company number three. And I'll tell you what, man, they were, they were really great to me. They took me under their wing. I learned a lot, you know, got to fight some fire up there and uh, really decided in 1995 or 96 in that area that I was going to go, uh, you know, New York city wasn't hiring. They were in a bit of a hiring freeze at that point. Yeah. And I was just sitting on the list. I let me go to Florida for two weeks. You know, I'll go down there for a couple of weeks and uh, see things. I had a buddy of mine. He's my brother-in-law now, and uh, he was on the John F. Kennedy in the Navy, and uh, the, they were assigned to Mayport. So he's like, "Hey, come to Jacksonville. We'll yeah. get an apartment. And we'll hang for a little bit." Well, I got down there. I found the beach and found the girls at the beach. And next thing you know, twenty years later, you're uh, back in Maryland. <laughs> yeah. <And> so <laughs> no, I got, I got, I got real fortunate to uh, be hired on the Jacksonville Fire Rescue. A great fire department. Uh, 16 years there, and yes, uh, 16 years there, made a made lieutenant. Had the uh, Got a phone call in 2013 from uh, the general president, Harold Shaberger, the IFF, uh, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to come up and build uh, a department, strategic campaigns, uh, really just assisting firefighters in the field, fighting back against you know budget cuts and attacks on their pay and benefits and everything. It's a once in a lifetime opportunity. So I retired early. And, yeah, you did. Uh, move the, yeah, move the family up to DC. It's, uh, you know, it was, it was, you know, uh, in retrospect, it was a lot harder on my family than it was me, but you know, we, we did it and you know, I've had the pleasure of building out, uh, the strategic campaigns department and then got promoted. And now I'm the assistant to the general president for the communications division. It's been a bit of a crazy ride. Uh, but I've enjoyed every minute of it. 
Well, there was a lot leading up to that, uh, you know, that moment where you were given the nod, and the tap to go to Washington. And, you know, Florida, just like every other state across the country, was affected by the recession economy and the, the downward spiral and the, the different attacks on pensions uh, across this nation. And, you know, Florida was no stranger to that. I mean, we faced a lot of pension reform. We faced a lot of issues with hiring freezes in some of the biggest departments across this country. And, you know, you put in a tireless effort with the FPF to help lead a campaign against, uh, you know, tyrannical government in a sense. And, you know, politicians who are anti-labor. And, and I'll tell you, that's probably where you got your nod from. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. I mean, you're no stranger to the fight. No, not at all. It seems like that's all we do every day is fight. It's just a different city, a different place. And, it, you know, it's the same. And it doesn't matter the political party. You know, we get so divided on politics on some things. It doesn't matter. It, it really doesn't matter. It's It's you know, we got to stick together as one team and fight because it's the same fight in every city. Uh, just the names are different. Oh, that's the damn truth. If anything's been said that could be any truer, you tell me because we've watched it unfold. And, you know, we're in a new battle now. And uh, we're just on the, the forefront of this battle, in a sense, because we haven't even gotten to the aftermath yet. You know, we're in a, an economy that's essentially spiraling into a recession, potential depression, all thanks to a wonderful uh, uh, and, and uh, infiltrative disease called uh, Corona and COVID-19. And, you know, it's not just affected our nation. It's the worldwide platform. But talking more specifically to our profession, which I think we need to really focus on is more or less, where are we at now? I mean, looking at the IFF's website, the numbers are, are still up there and climbing daily. So what are we looking at as far as stats for COVID-19 and the fire service in the United States and Canada? So right now, we, we've had about 4,200 members quarantined across the IFF, uh, just based on those returning from our survey. Uh, we've had about 10,500 exposed. Uh, unfortunately, we've lost six brothers. Mm. Uh, that doesn't include you know, the ones that were losing the FDNY EMS and some of the others out there. I mean, strictly just members, you know, we're, we're at six right now. And yeah. uh, that's, that's six too many. Oh, the six so. too many and way too many ill. I mean, I feel like uh, we were really caught off guard with this one, you know, worse than anything I've ever seen, any of us have ever seen. I mean, we've lived through several pandemics when you think about it, Ebola, the AIDS pandemic, uh, moving into the flu, the SARS, MERS, you name it, H1N1, the avian flu. And then all of a sudden, here comes this one bug, and it's uh, wreaked its havoc across the nation. And, and, and see, this is what scares me. As the numbers climb uh, nationwide with just citizens and these poor citizens suffering, our numbers are climbing daily as you indicated with regards to our profession and you know one of the things i've noticed and and you see the cry for help uh, you know chief gary ludwig who's the president of the ifc uh he's teamed up with the iff and several other public safety organizations and i know they're out there looking for you know support but what are we looking at as far as uh ppe and the response from the federal government well, that's a good that's a that's a that's a good question there jason because right now uh ppe is running real low for a lot of people um, in some places they get down to, Hey, we have two to three days left of supplies and then a supply comes in and it's good. Um, we, we talking to Miami Dade, you know, they had a situation where they had a cache of supplies and it got raided and, and taken by the for, feds for other areas. Yeah. They had a million and, masks taken from their supply by the feds. Absolutely. And you'll see, uh, the chief in Phoenix, uh, she's been, she's been pretty vocal about being out there about, Hey, you know, we're trying to get our stuff and it's not happening. There's lots of the places out there where, you know, they're fighting for equipment every day. And to be honest, it's just not there. Uh, 
I've been on the phone with 3M a couple times over the last couple of weeks and just trying to figure out how to get in the pipeline. I'm telling, I don't even want a handout. I just, I, how do you get in the pipeline to buy this stuff? And it's not there. And, you know, you'll see, you'll see stories of where, Hey, this, these people got masks and, and, you know, they have PPE, but a lot of times it's not going to meet the standards that our health and safety team sets in terms of protection against this virus. I mean, yeah, it's great to have a mask, but you know, I mean, some of them are just as good. I might as well just take a sock and wrap it around my mouth. You know, it's, it, it's scary because you, you you see the people out there wearing the surgical masks and, you know, most departments now and, and, and uh, mine included were wearing the, the N95 to every call. And if it's a COVID related call that, you know, meets the isolation precautions, not only are we gowning up, but, you know, we're also throwing a surgical mask over that uh, PPE as well, that uh, that N95, because, you know, we only have so many and there's so little opportunity to accumulate or acquire. It's like robbing Peter to pay Paul. But yet here we we are the fed saying we need to get first responders taken care of and and yet the story today that i read just like you miami date a million masks taken by the fed for what where did they go what was more important than taking care of the frontline first responders uh if i had to guess i don't really know where they went otherwise i'd be you know i'd be in a good spot but i don't know where they went but i would venture to think there you know we're in a situation where robin peter to pay paul unfortunately say well, well you know we can't we said we we're going to deliver on these masks. You know, they didn't say where they were going to get them from. Oh, no. So they're just going from one place to another. I, I really think, you know, as PPE, I, I think as we're moving forward, they'll find a little bit better balance on the PPE and hopefully get our, get our firefighters out there what they need. I think in the meantime is the best thing that we have at our disposal is, you know, having a sense of awareness, knowing what you're, knowing where you're going, knowing what you're getting into, and even paying attention when it's not, the symptoms aren't there for, or the call doesn't describe a COVID call. You know, we had a call out in New Rochelle where it was a gas leak. Guys bunker out to go in a house, figure out what's wrong, and they realize they're already in the house with no protection, and the family's already infected. Yep. Yep. You know, so it's it's just a matter of, you know, these guys are good at what we're doing. We're, you know, firefighters are good at what they do. It's just a matter of just okay, let's apply this thought over here. Let's be a little bit safer. And maybe we're not charging it at 100 miles an hour. Maybe we'll do 90 miles an hour, but just take a look real quick and see what's going on. Most definitely. You know, we mentioned earlier the IFC uh, jumping in with the IFF, and I've read all the letters that are joint uh, processes between the IFC, the IFF, and and who are the other agencies that the IFF is aligning with right now to try to get this PPE stuff squared away? So, uh, we're you know, we're talking with the Metro Chiefs. Uh, NIOSH, uh, our health and safety teams on the phone are on a regular basis with the CDC. And, uh, you know, we're also up on Capitol Hill. Uh, we have our legislative team doing everything they can, lobbying on Capitol Hill to make sure that firefighters are given that priority status when it comes to PPE and, and other necessities that they need to do their job. Oh, and see, that's the voice we need. We need people out there fighting the good fight for us. And it's a blessing that these agencies are aligning. And it's always in a time of crisis, you tend to see the differing agencies from labor to management jumping in because each is equally affected, if not more, by this. And COVID is no different than any other pandemic we faced in our lifetime. But, you know, as we transition away from COVID, and and it seems like, you know, states are starting to gear up for reopening, you're looking at the economy, uh, slowly returning here, hopefully, but it could 
could be several months in some states. I mean, in Florida, there's talk that Disney could be closed throughout the rest of the year, which given time to essentially organize and re rebrand or, or re you know re uh, uh, refurb the park in some areas. But they're losing money in a sense still, and and that's going to impact our economy. I mean, think about all of the areas we are a robust economy, the greatest in the nation, yet we're going to see problems from this. And so now, are we looking at a repeat of the recession of 2008 or something worse, do you think? I think we're on, I think we're on the, the way to a little bit of a dip in the economy. Okay. I mean, and I'm not on the way. You know, a couple of weeks ago, our health and safety team has been just totally kick-ass about this whole COVID stuff. And they were like, you want to help? I'm like, yeah, they said, get out of the way. So I was like, okay. And I started to just really start thinking about what is going to happen when all this is done and who's banging that drum right now. So I just really started thinking about, you know, in 2008, how many of our, our, our firefighters out there really took a hard hit in pay cuts and attacks on pensions. I know in, in my home city, Jacksonville, we had a nine year battle over pensions. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so how do we avoid that again? You know, I, I sort of looked at it as, you know, if, if we're not prepared time, that's on me this time. So we started a couple weeks ago just giving online tutorials, holding webinars and and hangouts online, just saying, hey, look, this stuff is coming. You need to be prepared. You need to be prepared for when the city looks at you and says, well, you know, we're going to have to make some cuts. That's where it always starts, right? Yeah, your pensions, yeah, well, we we don't know if we can make that pension payment or we we might have to up the health insurance. Yeah, they're going to take that this opportunity to try and take a swipe at what you have. And your and your abilities to provide for your families and you know what's, in, in this environment. And what's scarier is that uh, listening to some of the brothers from Baltimore to California, Sacramento, Oakland, those areas, they're already starting to feel that. They're already starting to talk about cuts. And uh, from what I understand, we're looking at departments even talking about doing layoffs and furloughs, which, you know, we're not even out of the COVID disaster yet. And here we are prepping for uh, firing people at this point and slashing benefits. Oh yeah, no, that's uh, okay. Saying we need to plan, we need to plan for the post-COVID nineteen economy. I got news for you; it's here. Uh, you know, there's you know, committees are meeting on budgets, and people are starting to realize how much all of this is costing. You know, it's easy to scream for money and do we need to do all this stuff in the heat of the battle of everything, but then the bill comes due. Yeah, and uh, you know, they you know everybody loves firefighters; they're out there doing their thing. But now it's time the bills due. Uh, they're going to try and take it out on our backs, and we're going to do everything we can to stop that. I mean, my humble opinion, I think we're looking at a, a moment in time that could be scarier than the uh, the, ho- the housing market collapse of 2008 and the banking uh, corruption. Uh, you know, we've shut down industry. I mean, at one point I was saying, you know, positive because, hey, look, you know, Amazon's hiring 100,000 people. You know, Walmart's looking to hire 8,000 drivers. The supply chain is still strong. And now here we are sitting here two months later farmers, agriculture, you're looking at grocery chains that can't take food in anymore because, well, the farmers are overstocked as well. They can't dispose of the food. The supply chain is starting to crumble just a little, which is scary because that's going to cripple our economy even further. You're looking at some of the other avenues that are affecting us too. And it comes down to where does it start for us? And we, you know, we have to be cognizant of that and we have to be prepared. And, you know, you hold these, uh, you, you hold these seminars and, and the people I've seen on them, you know, they, they come from all walks of life, whether they're union presidents, state presidents, secretary treasurers, you've got people from the IFF engaged. How can people become more engaged with this process so we can start spreading the word and getting the education out there and getting these unions or these fire departments better prepared for what's to come? 
I think it's the key thing is to get involved. It's, it's, you know, from a union perspective, it's one thing to just pay to dues, but it's another to get involved, uh, get involved, be knowledgeable. Even if, even if your point of involvement is just reading the newsletter that, that your union sends out or your, you know, or your fire department, you know, what your fire chief is fighting for you on the front lines and you want to do to help, you know, at least read the information that's coming out, educate yourself on what's going on. And what do you yeah. think about branding? Uh, you know, we talked about this uh, a couple of weeks ago. I see fire departments all across the country going out and engaging with local business and, and putting that content out there on social media and supporting their community, which I think is a phenomenal message. It's, it's the right message to send, even in a time of crisis. That's invaluable when you think about it. That's priceless content for the greater good in the grand scheme of things, is it not? Yeah, I couldn't tell you how proud I am right now. So one of the first things I did when I came to headquarters was I created what's uh, now known as the IFS Communications Training Academy. Mm-hmm. We have we take one week and we bring 50 firefighters in from all over the country, United States and Canada, and we lock them down for a week and teach them how to make videos on their iPhones. We teach them how to edit the video, all the different shots to make in video. We teach them branding. We teach them strategic planning, communications planning, and uh, digital ad targeting through Google and, and Facebook. It's amazing. And uh, it's all about establishing yourselves as the experts in public safety in your community. Well, considering that social media was brand new to us back in 2008 through roughly, you know, 2012, 13, it's even grown further since then. Would you say we're a lot further ahead with regards to our connectivity and, and, and our, at least our, our digital connection uh, to social media, knowing what it is now and understanding what its uh, potentials are and not worried about its mm-hmm. limitations? Oh, we're light years ahead. We're light years ahead of where we were at the uh, start of the last recession. I mean, some in, of the in terms of branding and communicating yeah. and, and getting out there. And, and more importantly, you, okay, you're not as you're not as good at social media as some of the people in your department, but understand that there's still a physical value of doing those appearance school, you know, what you're doing when you're in the store buying groceries, you know, people are looking at you. And I was, I always tell people in our classes and you've heard, you've heard them before, you know, the fire truck is still the one the one piece of equipment that mm-hmm. grown adults just stop and look at all the time. That's your brand. All of that, the fire station visits when the kids come to visit. And so it's not just about social media. It's about all the different things that encompass leaving that mark on your community, that you're the public safety authority and that they really need you. You know, and I'll tell you something, the community is definitely reaching out and I've seen it across the, the country as well, where people are showing up to the stations across their cities, their counties, their municipalities, and they're bringing them masks, they're bringing them food, they're supporting the firefighters. I mean, there, there, there is support out there. I think they understand, you know, when they see the reality of the first responders that are losing their lives to this disease, not just being incapacitated by the disease process itself, it's hitting close to home because if you take us out, who are you going to have in the front line of the community it's it's uh again it's another humbling aspect of of the community and and the pride that we have and one of the things we got to do yesterday and i've seen it across the internet is being able to participate in one of those parades for someone's special event and i thought that was great we we were able to shoot down the street to uh one of our neighbors who was celebrating his 70th birthday and we rolled up and he asked us to stop and i rolled down the window he said listen man he said it's because of you guys that we're here today and i said listen no it's because of you 
that we're here today. And the, the pride that you could see in his eyes, the support from him and vice versa, those are the moments that we're going to reflect on after this disease process, you know, starts to decline and we start seeing the good and the bad in the recovery of the economy. I think those are the moments that are going to help carry us is the engagement and the, uh, the connection with the community because there's nothing more important uh, to service than being engaged with the people you serve. Yeah. You know, you have, you have everything at your disposal and you have your community and the people that are going to be coming to take are and cut the fire department and cut firefighters uh, they're going to have a ton of money to control message and everything but if you have the community and you've taken the time to to really embrace the community and, and let them embrace you <coughs> you're, you're going to be okay you're going to you're you know community supports everything it's being able to have people that you can call on that can answer your call to action most you know, definitely come to the city council meeting call your city council people email the mayor today all of that stuff comes because you brand yourself, like you talked about, you talk about branding. It's the most important thing. And it doesn't make a difference. If you're on a paid department, you're the chief, you're a volunteer, you're the new guy. Everything's about brand. And it's always about brand. All of our responders, volunteer, paid, it doesn't matter. They're, the label doesn't exist when it comes to the term firefighting. And anybody who still carries that stigma, you know, you're out there protecting your community, right, wrong, or indifferent. You're doing something important and valuable, and it needs to be considered a sacred commitment, you know, something sacred to the service, to the community, to the people around you. And, you know, that's why I value, you know, all the time I've spent in the fire service growing up like you from a volunteer background to a professional background. There's nothing greater than knowing where you came from and uh, where you're at today and what you've been able to accomplish. Um, transitioning into this, when we push forward, once we close this process out, there's going to be a need or a cry for help from firefighters out there. And, and I know there's resources, we've already discussed them, that are currently available for firefighters to latch on to, to get engaged with. But what, what are we looking at potentially here as far as resources out there that could be coming up down the road for firefighters to utilize as tools for, I guess, the toolbox, so to say? Yeah, there's some there's some federal programs out there for relief grants. Uh, you know, grants will be a big part of it, depending on how much they want to fund. Uh, the safer grants that are out there for fire departments that uh, that are looking at at cuts possibly or not hiring people as as people retire. Uh, one thing, if your fire department's on a grant already, you have to think about how you're gonna how are you gonna how is the department gonna cope when the grant runs out? What are we gonna do with the firefighters on the grant? You know, start thinking about things like that. Uh, on our end, on the IFF side of things, we're in the process right now for, for our members of designing a, uh, uh, a toolkit, much like the one we have now for COVID-19. But this one is really uh, a resource for finance, politics, you know, even, even getting down into the finances for the personal firefighter. You know, what are, we, what are we doing when our spouse is laid off and can't work or, you know, God forbid, you know, we can't work a second job to make ends meet. Oh, trust me, I've seen it. Case in a lot of places, uh, teaching uh, has become non-existent. Yeah. Uh, several spouses are are not able to go to work because they're office workers and or work in medical, you know, doctors' offices, and unfortunately, they can't go to work because they've shut them down. They're not considered like dental offices. They're not considered essential. Uh, it's scary. Teachers, I mean, most of them are able to work from home, and I, I see that that's a benefit to be able to do online education. But I digress. I interrupted you. I apologize. Continue what you were last saying. Finish that one up. No. No, that's good. And so we're working on the toolkit and, you know, we have 130 to 140 employees at IFF headquarters. 
all of them are working from home right now. Yeah. All of them doing a tremendous job. You know, if you follow that COVID-19 toolkit that we have, you'll see it's updated daily. If not, you know, not if three to four times a day, it's being updated. We got a tremendous staff up there just kicking ass. Well, and now we're, we're getting ready to unload another toolkit out there that really focuses on, you know, adapting to this new economy and doing everything you can to keep all the trucks on the street, uh, make sure they're all fully staffed with what they need to be staffed with, no two-man ladders you know, and, and crap like that. But, you know, just really trying to get through this period right now. We're getting a lot of calls from a lot of cities out there uh, saying, hey, we're facing cuts. What do we need to do? And we're, and we're going to respond and we're going to do the best we can. Well, you know what? It's, uh, it, it, it warms my heart and it, it, it uh, brings great pride to know that the organization I've been a proud member of for the past 23 years uh, is stepping up as always to lead the charge to help protect the firefighters. And it truly is a national battle at this point, an international battle when you consider our brothers and sisters up in Canada. Brother, I got to thank you. I can't thank you enough for coming on the show this evening. It's been an absolute honor and you're going to come back and we're going to continue this dialogue because knowledge is power and having resources and friendships and uh, people who are at the front lines of making things better for us is what makes a difference for everyone else. So Mark, thank you. Thank you for the work you do with the IFF. Thank you for being engaged with every firefighter in this country and holding your seminars. Do me a favor, throw out the IFF website for us and the COVID tracker so they can go ahead and research that information daily. It's IAFF.org slash coronavirus. Outstanding. So guys, again, this is a very special episode. I know it's been a while since we've had a show, but now that we're set up and running, this is what we're going to start doing. We're going to start bringing in more information, talking to professionals, and at least putting a face to this so that we can start getting ahead of it and preparing our departments for what's to come. So as always, I want to thank you guys for being a part of this effort, showing up and listening. And I want you to remember, you are your brothers and your sister's keeper. So always keep your head on a swivel. God bless. Take care. We'll see you on the next one. Thanks for listening to the show, guys. And if you want to look for more content out there from some great firefighters on some awesome podcasts, go check out some of my friends, starting with my good friend Steve Green from the Five Alarm Task Force and my good buddy Rob Pollock from Flow Invent, the Down to Fight Fire podcast out of British Columbia, Canada, A. Eh? SA Matters with Dr. Richard Gassaway, my good friend Ryan Pennington from West Virginia with Jump Seat Radio and that Jump Seat Radio Nation. Pin the Q, Code 3, Do Work, The Thin Red Line with my brother Captain John Haywick out of Passaic as well, The Fire Rescue Show, The Average Jake Firefighter, and of course, John Spira and the Fit to Fight Fire podcast. Go check these brothers out as they put great content out there and they're going to appreciate your support. See you on the next one. You just survived 30 minutes of online training with the Can Man Radio Show. Did you remember to train your probie today? The Can Man knows he knows everything. When that 2 a.m. lift assist drops, the Can Man will be thinking of you in his dreams.